I'm going to read out of the book of Proverbs chapter 3. I want to talk to you in this message series on the triple seven. God does things in completion. He told us that the number of man was six, but he also told us that the number of completion was seven. That when he shows up, it's a complete work. It's a seven, seven, sevens. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one because they are a complete work work. In other words, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, it's the divine trinity. And that's where we really lie in our beliefs, those foundational beliefs of the trinity of God. It's so important to believe in that trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you this morning in this message series about pillars, because God tells us in Proverbs chapter 9 that wisdom is building the house. And in that house, look what it has, seven pillars. Interesting that seven is the number of perfection. And God is telling all of us, if you're going to build a house, you've got to have the proper foundation. And we're going to talk about those pillars on how to build the house. Happy is the man who finds this thing called wisdom and the man or woman who gains understanding. The proceeds are better than the profits of silver and of gold and fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things she may desire cannot compare with her. Think about what God's saying. Your house that you're building is the house of wisdom and it's better than money. It's better than resources. What you're longing for is more of God and his anointing because the length of this thing of wisdom is in the right hand and the left hand are riches and honor. Wisdom's ways are pleasantness and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her. Oh, I think the foundation of our lives need to be built on the solid rock. And we're going to talk about those pillars today and next week. Father, thank you today for the wonderful opportunity to give your people a foundational belief that will never change. The pillars in which we build our house, because all of us will live in a house and the quality of our houses will be determined by how well we build the foundation. Thank you, Lord. You're building the foundation today in us and through us through the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's men and women said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're so skinny. You can eat crazy on Thursday. Just go ahead and tell them. You're so skinny. You can eat crazy on Thursday. See, I'm ready to go. I think there's something so important about you being in the house of God every time the doors open. Church is of such importance. It is so important to build your faith and starve your doubt. That's what you're doing on the first day of the week. You're building your faith and you're starving your doubt. In this opportunity today, there's an opportunity to build with a foundational pillar. So let me ask you this morning, how many of you would desire more wisdom in your life? Can I see your hand? All of us want more wisdom. But when I say the word wisdom, many of you immediately, you're thinking about knowledge. Wisdom is a fact. Knowledge is what to do with that fact. So in other words, when knowledge is known, it gives you fact. But when we have wisdom, it tells us what to do with those facts. And there's a world of difference. So when I have knowledge, I'm getting facts. I'm getting facts. Whether I go to school, I get knowledge. I read articles. I read books. I get, I get facts. But knowledge and wisdom are different because knowledge are facts, but wisdom is a gift from God applying those facts 
facts. Reminds me of the, two sto- of, the, of the story of the two cowboys. They were riding along the prairie and they saw an Indian. His belly was to the ground. His ear was cupped toward the earth. And the two cowboys stopped and one said to his friend, he said, see what that Indian's doing? His friend said, no, I don't know what he's doing. He said, he's got his ear to the ground because they have an instinct way of hearing things that are happening miles in every direction. The cowboy said, listen, he's, he's listening to things in different directions. Just then, the Indian, he looked up at the two cowboys and he said, covered wagon, two miles away, have two horses, one brown, one white, woman, child, household things in the wagon. Cowboy said to his friend, that's amazing. Listen how many facts he knows. He knows the color of the horses. He knows how many horses. He knows what's in the wagon. He knows a woman and a child. Those are amazing facts. At that time, the Indian looked up and said, ran over me half hour ago. How many of you know? (laughs) That's knowledge. There's a difference between facts and knowledge. You can buy books and read books and gain knowledge from those books, but wisdom, it's a gift from God, knowing how to apply and manage those facts. I think it's important because it is a wise man who gets angry with a woman that says absolutely nothing. Men, husbands, when your wife says the words, let's talk, that means you're not going to. If you're wise, you will not. And let me just give you another bit of wisdom. You ready for this, husbands? When your wife is found at home eating ice cream out of the carton, back away, back away, back away. Trying to have a conversation with your wife at that point in time is like trying to figure out if it's the red wire or the blue wire to disarm the bomb. You need to have wisdom. There's a world of difference. It's like the boy that told his father, he says, Dad, how much does it cost to get married. The father said, well, I don't know, son, 20 years and I'm still paying for it. I think there's something to be said. I can be here all day, folks. I'm full of it. But (laughs) you're like, yeah, he is. I think there's something to be said about pillars, foundational issues, wisdom from God, building us these great pillars. Solomon said, wisdom is greater than gold. It's greater than silver. When you have wisdom from God, you know how to use your resources. You know how to invest. You know how to engage and stay away from certain things. It's important to know, because let's consider this fact, that God is saying in this passage that I read, you and I are building a house called life. And God is going to insist that you live in that house. How you build that house, however, is determined by the choices that you make. Now consider the house that wisdom built. Solomon said this house that wisdom builds has seven pillars. Seven in the scripture, like I told you, is the number of perfection. Many houses fail because they're poorly built. But Jesus was a carpenter. As a matter of fact, he was a master carpenter. And he gave us a building seminar in Matthew chapter 7. And he talked about in the seminar about the two types of buildings that you can build. He talked about the building one. You can tell the quality of the house only when the storm comes. Because both of the houses look good on the outside. But the building one that's built on the rock withstands the storm. And the second building that's built on, sol- uh, on sand and slippery things only falls apart when the storm comes. He talked about the two kinds of builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. 
He talked about that foundation, one being a solid rock and the other being sinking sand. Every life that's built gets tested by foundational issues and by storms. For Jesus said, when the storm came. Let's say it together. When the storm came. Not if the storm would come, but when the storm came. Why? Because the quality of the house could only be tested when the storm came. And the success and the quality of our house, it doesn't depend on how rapidly it goes up. The house may go up rapidly, but the success of the house is not quickly, is not determined how quickly it goes up. It's determined on how it endures the storm. That's important to know because some of you are in a storm right now and you've got to dig down deep with your foundational pillars. The story is told of the wealthy businessman. This guy made a fortune building houses all over America. He was getting older in life and so he decided to build one more house. So he called his foreman together that he had been working with for 30 plus years and he says, I want to build one more house with you, my friend. I want to build the most beautiful house we've ever built together. He says, I'm going to give you all the resources you can have. He says, I want you to draw up the most beautiful, spectacular house you can possibly build. It's our last build together. He said, my wife and I are going on a trip to Europe for one year. He says, when I come back, I want to see this beautiful, magnificent house. The foreman said, wow, this is our last build together. And he started thinking to himself, this is my last chance to get some real quick money. He says, I'm going to use some inferior material. I'll charge high prices. So he gathered wood that wasn't really squared up and it was a little bit decayed. And he got foundational concrete and watered it down. And all the interiors, he, he used low-grade material. Everything on the outside, he made it look good. But everything that really mattered on the inside, he used inferior products and he used cheap material. One year passed. The house was finished. His boss returned from Europe and he demanded immediately to see that house. As the foreman took him around, and showed him the beauty of the home on the outside and all the wonderful features of that home. The boss took the keys of the house and handed it to his foreman and said, this is your house. This is my gift to you. I want you and your family to live in this house for the rest of your life. See, I'm saying that for a reason, because God is saying to all of us in this room, you are building a house called life, and you are going to live in it. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he built a house with seven pillars, and he told us about these pillars that we would have to build our lives on, because we can build our houses to endure the storms, to endure the fire, and endure the test of life, so we can have prosperity and joy and peace, not because of but in spite of. Now think about the first pillar that God wants us to build in our foundational issues. He wants us to build our house with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of something. It's the beginning of wisdom. Why is fearing God so important? Because fearing God is not what many of you have been taught. Many of you have been taught the fear of the Lord is some God in heaven with a baseball bat and, a, and an eraser in one hand ready to mess, when you mess up and blow it, erase your name out of the Lamb's book of life. And when you really mess up, whack you in the head with this disease or this calamity or this trial or this tribulation or this upheaval. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. Some of you have been taught with bad teaching that the fear of the Lord is God getting angry at you and God getting upset about society and about man. That's not what the scripture is teaching. The fear of the 
Lord is a reverent awe of God and his awesome power. But it's not a catatonic state where we're living in a constant state of fear. I can't go to God. I can't. I messed up too much. I made too many mistakes. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of man. And the fear of man, the Bible says, is a snare. It's a snare that's trapped you. That's what religion does. Religion brings a snare, and it tries to trap a person to say, live this way, act this way, dress this way, do this thing. And when you mess up and you blow it, you better not mess up in your sin, because if you die, you're going to go to hell. Some of you have been taught that ridiculous lie, and you need to know that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is an awesome reverence of God. But many people, they don't fear the Lord like I'm talking about today. They defy God's word. That's not fearing God. They use his name in vain. That's not fearing the Lord. They abandon his house on the Lord's day. That's certainly not fearing in a reverent awe of God. There's a miracle that they happen in the house of God. People worship the gods of this earth, the God of hedonism, the God of multiculturalism, the gods that are of other gods, little G's, without serving the one true God. I want you to realize that the Bible says all nations who forget God are turned over to hell. Let it not be said of us and this house and these people. We love God. We fear the Lord in a reverent awe of his goodness and his grace. And that's the pillar which you need to build the house on. It's the fear of the Lord. But this world is doing everything they can to distance themselves from God. Do you know the U.S. military has now acted through Congress worshiping of Satanism in the U.S. military? There's no fear of God in that. Our universities are saturated with anti-Americanism and anti-Israel, all these things to take people away from our creator and our God. There's no fear of God like there should be. And God says, build the house with the pillar of awesome reverence of me. There's another pillar that God wants us to build our house on. It's the pillar of mercy. Lamentations chapter three, verse 22 says, God's mercies are not the reason we're consumed because his compassion faileth not. The Bible says his mercies are new every single morning. I don't know about y'all, but I am glad God gets up in a good mood every day. How about you? I'm glad. Second Samuel 24, for the Lord's mercies are great. I think about Psalms 23, for he says, thou mercy and his grace, his mercy and if goodness follows me all the days of my life. Think about that. It's the goodness of God that gives us what we don't deserve. And it's the mercy of God that spares us from what we do deserve. God says, every believer that calls upon my name, I've got two coachmen that follow them. One is named goodness and the other's named mercy. And everywhere they go, I've got goodness on this side and I've got mercy on this side. Follow him every place, everywhere. He's following you. You can't escape the goodness and mercy of God. All you need to do is embrace it. Thou shall give his people mercy. That's the goodness of God. And you and I need to show that mercy because if Satan takes the mercy out of our Christian conduct, hold those real quick. He takes the mercy out of Christian conduct. He destroys Christianity. Christianity without mercy mercy is just another cult. I've heard people say all my Christian life, I'm merciful, Joey. Just nobody know about it. But that's simply not true. You may have the money of Bill Gates and not show it. 
You may have the knowledge of Albert Einstein and not expose it. You may have the musical ability of a Beethoven and not reveal it. But if in your soul there's a loving mercy of an eternal God, you cannot hide it. You can no more close the bowels of your compassion and walk away than the sun refuses to shine at noonday. You'll manifest mercy if it's on the inside of you. Listen to the Greek word for merciful. The word in the Greek is elemosina. It literally means to be beneficial. To be beneficial. Therefore, it is the will of God that every church has the heart of mercy and that is a benefit to mankind. That's the will of the church for God's people. We are called together. That's why church is so important. Not one individual, but the body of believers, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue that make up the beautiful tapestry of the Lord Jesus. Not perfect people, imperfect people, flawed people, messed up people, people with issues, people with addictions, people with stuff going on. But by the mercy of God, we're here today and we're called to be a benefit to a lost and hurt world. That's the will of God. The church is to be the healing force for a hurting world. That's what the church is called to do. It's to be a hospital for the sick. The church is to be a refuge for those who are caught in the storms of life. That's what the church is. That's why we as a church do what we do in our community. Like the pictures we started showing a little bit. That was just yesterday. The pictures of giving out food. We do it on a daily, weekly basis. But we also do it in times like this for giveaways in Turkey to be a benefit to our society to give out not handouts but hand ups to help people not just one time a year not just one time a quarter not just every month or every other month but every single opportunity we get to be a benefit to those who are in need that's the wonderful thing about our god to all of us are called to do something collective to be a benefit to somebody else. That's what the church is meant to be. We're not trying to find ways to get people out. We're trying to ways to get people in. We're not trying to get people to reject them and renounce them and say, you're doing this and you're a sinner and you're an old worse. We're not here to do that. We're drawing a circle and we're saying, get in and be what God's created you to be. It's the mercy circle. It's the circle of love, acceptance, and approval by God, but it starts within you and within me. That was last Thursday. That was the wonderful, uh, <laughs> I love that. That's, that's a hundred teenagers from the Lord's Gym City Center, and that's the Lord's Gym, what you give to every month. See, some of you don't realize that your tithes, your offerings, they're not just going to this house. They go to the, that house. They go to keep that facility open every day. We fed last Thursday 100 teenagers with all the fixings, a turkey meal, just fed them to their bellies pop. What we're doing, we're being a benefit. We're being a benefit. One of the great things there is bringing together the church students and the city center students, the great trap tapestry of what the church is all about, not us's and them's. That nonsense needs to go away. There's no us's and them's. It's people they either love God or they don't. And if they don't, we are to be a benefit to them and show them what the love of God looks like. And that's important. 
because that's what the church is called to do. Now listen to me this morning because mercy is the disposition of the soul. Mercy projects a forgiving spirit to have the heart of compassion. That's what mercy is. That's what the pillar is. Mercy is having the mind of Christ toward the hurting, toward those who are suffering. Are you merciful? Here's how we know we're not merciful if we become critical, if we become sour. And when we become critical and sour, we become like a Pharisee. And do you know the harshest words Jesus ever used were people who claimed to be spiritual? They were the harshest words that Jesus, when he was on this earth, he used. And they were people who claimed to be spiritual, but were critical of other people people. You say, well, Joey, I don't like the way they're dressing. I'd rather have them dress like that in here than be out in the club. Joey, I don't like what they're doing. I don't like what this and that is. We're not called to be critical. We're called to be beneficial. Fault finding is not a fruit of the spirit. It's a demon spirit. And if you're a fault finder, you need to get saved and get the benefit of mercy on your life. Jesus used these harsh words of of the so-called spiritual people from a pharisaical, holier-than-thou posture. If you have the mercy of God, what happens? It, It manifests. The mercy of God starts city centers. It's millions of dollars. It costs you time. It costs you effort. It costs you not being able to do things in the church. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of resources. It takes a lot of brain damage. But we're to be a benefit to somebody in need. We're to be a benefit when they lose their homes because of fire, because of devastation. That's what the church is called to do. That's why church is so important. It's not just us four and no more and come bless me, come pray for me, come pity me. Me, 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 you little whiny, hiney, you. It's not about you, it's about them. It's about being a benefit. And I've learned that when you stop being a whiny, hiney, and you go out and benefit somebody else, then your needs will be met. Your service will help God help you with your service. You reaching out will help God reach out to you. I've learned that. Some of you need to learn to be generous. You need to learn to be a givers. You need to learn how to bless other people. When's the last time you just bless somebody else? Bought them a gift card, bought them dinner, just bless somebody else. Just say, I love you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. When's the last time you've been a benefit to somebody else? You say, well, Joey, I want people to bless me. You will never get that blessing in turn. You learn to bless others. You say, I'm praying for a million dollars, Joey. I want a million dollars so I can be a blessing to others. How about being a blessing with the 10? How about being a blessing with the two? See, there's something to be said about building the house with the column of mercy. It means we're beneficial. We're a benefit to the city. This ministry is a benefit to the city. This ministry would be greatly missed if we weren't here. I know that religious spirits and I know that others who have devil stuff in them, they think that we would not be. But I'm telling you, we are a benefit to the lost of this city. We are a great benefit. But any church that ever does anything for God, religious spirits always try to come in and denounce the working of Christ because they don't want the church to be a benefit. And we're called, friends, to be a benefit. That's why I want to encourage you. I can't wait to get over to our next facility because you need to make church a priority, not just hitting and missing. Your life should revolve around the church. Your, your, your life should revolve around the church. You should not be in, looking for ways to get out. You should be looking for ways to get in. 
It should be revolving around the things of God because it's the benefit of you and the benefit of others. When you give, they say, oh, what a wonderful Christian. But when you're a part of the church and it benefits others, they say, oh, what a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior that you serve. A benefit. Merciful people seek out ways to restore the fallen. Merciful people are slow to condemn. They're slow to condemn others. The merciful, listen to me, emphasizes. They put themselves in the shoes of other people so they can know what it feels like to live that way before they start becoming critical of that person. Are you merciful? If you're going to build a house of wisdom, you better build it with a column of mercy. And here's why. And I've learned this because all of us will need to pull out of that bank. You or one of your family members will do something wrong. There'll come a day. And if you don't give out mercy in the mercy banks of heaven, when you make that mistake, that mercy will not be given back unto you. Jesus said, how can you say you love God who you can't see and hate a man who you have seen? He said, the love of God is not in you. And we are called to be a benefit, to be a benefit. This last pillar I want to take us to is the pillar of trust. The pillar of trust. You have to learn to trust. All of us do. Don't you hate it when your kids don't trust you in what you tell them? As a parent, don't you? Am, am I the only one? When you say something, they're like, and, and then the actions show you they don't believe it. You're like, I'm your parent. I will tell you, and you should believe it. But they somehow, some way, do not trust you. It's inherited in our nature of sin. But God says, trust me, because this is the pillar. Every relationship on the planet is held together by trust. You put your money in the bank, trusting your money's going to be safe. You go to the doctor, trusting that that doctor knows the difference, what's wrong with you. That he knows the difference between a tonsillectomy and a hysterectomy. Yeah, I see some of you asking your neighbor, what's that? <laughs> you don't want to know, men. You trust that the pilot knows where he's going. And you got a ticket to Chicago and you're not going to Cuba. You trust that pilot knows where he's going, where she's going. Every relationship is held together by trust. That's why the enemy does everything in his power to break trust break trust in marriage, break trust in church, break trust in your workplace, because the enemy tries to divide by building up lies to bring distrust. That's why God says he hates lies. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates brethren who sow discord. Discord is lies because it breaks trust. If you're not an eyewitness, you're not a witness at all. Now think about that, because God has only asked one thing since the beginning of time, not that we defend him, because God's big, he can defend himself. Not that we understand him, you can't understand God. Not that we can explain him, because you certainly don't have the mental capacity to explain what you can't fully understand. God doesn't ask us to understand him, to explain him, to defend him. God Almighty has asked every child of his, trust me, 
Like a son needs to trust a daughter, a son needs to trust a father, and a daughter needs to trust a mother. God's saying, would you trust me? Would you stop leaning not into your own understanding, but would you start acknowledging me in all your ways so I can direct your path? God says, you trust me. We trust his word. We trust his blood. We trust his precious touch. We trust his forgiving that he calls on us and calls us his very own. We have a future and a hope because we trust in the living God. God says today, would you trust me? Would you trust me? Do you trust the Lord? How do we know that we don't trust the Lord? Let me say this quickly because I thought about this because it's one thing to say, serve God, trust God, trust God. And people are like, yeah, yeah, Joey's anointed. And I am. But how do you trust the Lord and know if you're trusting or not? We know we're not trusting the Lord when doubt and unbelief are in us. When doubt and unbelief are in us, we know the result of it. Here it is. How do we know doubt and unbelief are in our hearts, Joey? Because we become cynical and we become sour. That's how we know we're not trusting. We become cynical and we become sour. Listen to this passage in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving. Listen, and the fearful and the unbelieving and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, which is the second death. You say liars are going to go to hell. You better believe it. All the fearful and the unbelieving and all liars will have their place in hell, which is the second death. I say that to you because this church is not numbered among the unbelieving and the fearful. We sang that song this morning. Fear has to bow. Unbelief has to bow. We believe in the Word of God. We believe in the will of God. We believe in the power of God. We believe in the healing of God. We believe in the anointing of God. And what's Solomon saying? He's saying, in effect, let examine that house. Examine that house. Let every timber of doubt and unbelief fall and trust in the living God. I don't pay, care what your past was. I don't care what your sins you've committed. I don't care the crisis you're going through. I don't care the heartbreak or the heartache. Trust in God. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. He will help you. He will fill you. He will heal you. He will provide for you. He will restore what's been taken. He will give back to you sevenfold what the enemies tried to steal. Do we have any believers and not doubters in the house today?